0: Well, good morning. Somebody left some sunglasses up here for me. I guess that's because you're so bright. I'm uh, grateful to, uh, to be back in the pulpit. Last week, Cole Thomas took my place because we had a celebration on Saturday. Our son Graham was married to Caroline Goins, a member of our church who grew up here as well, and God answered our prayers in seeing them come to, uh, together. Because, you know, when, you're, when your children are... Well, when they're, before they are even born, you, you're praying for them, aren't you? And uh, we're praying that they would meet the right person. So we uh, saw God just do something special by bringing Graham and Caroline together. I don't talk a lot about my kids from the pulpit. Someone asked me that question, but let me, why, why don't you do that more? Um, let me just ask, if you were a child of a pastor, how would you like your <laughs> dad to get up there and talk about... <laughs> We're a family. We go through struggles and uh, ups and downs and difficulties, sickness, illnesses. Uh, we've been going through things just recently with, uh, with some of our uh, Leslie's, Leslie's folks. And, and so I just want to say thank you for your support and your prayers and the celebration we were able to have. And I'm glad to be able to preach this morning back in the book of Revelation. If you have your Bibles, you find Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. While you're finding your place in Revelation 2, if you're a guest today, there's a connect card in front of you. There's a pocket. Just grab that card out of the pocket. We'd love for you to connect with us by letting us know you're here. And all of you, any of you, members, uh, non-members, if you have prayer requests, would you make those prayer requests known? If you would like to be prayed for confidentially, you can mark that. We won't put it on a prayer list, but if it's something to go on a prayer list, it's pretty, pretty beautiful each week to see this prayer list guide to go out so that across... Our congregation, and even even to other congregations, we're able to pray for one another. Revelation chapter two. The title this morning of this message is I took it from Casting Crowns, the contemporary Christian music group, a song that they sung some time ago in wrote called "Slow Fade." Have you heard that song? Slow Fade. It is not the cheeriest of songs, but it is a stark reminder of the reality that it's easy to drift if we're not careful. To drift away from what is true, what is right, what is holy. We are backsliders sometimes at heart, and so we need to be careful of a slow fade. The song is like this, be careful little ears what you hear. When flattery leads to compromise, the end is always near." Be careful, little lips, what you say, for empty words and promises lead broken hearts astray. And then the chorus, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white turn into gray. And thoughts invade, choices made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. And then this line, people never crumble in a day. That's true, isn't it? We never crumble in a day, just a slow fade. There's two ways to fell a tree. You can chop it from the outside or you can inject it with something to kill the root so that eventually it dies from the inside out. Either way, an effective way of bringing down a tree so people, so people can be brought down through outside pressures or inside deception and compromise. This is true of the church called Pergamum. And I want to read about that. If you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2, a church called Pergamum, who was being attacked by the outside forces, led by Satan himself, and also inside deception, teachers within the church. If you have your Bibles, verse 12, it goes this way. And to the angel of the church at Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword... I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with a sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone, and I will give him a name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Church says, amen. Well, let me just get right into this this morning. This will not be the lightest of messages as you have heard the words of the Lord to this church, and so I want us to recognize that right away. This is a message that is necessary for the church at Pergamum, but so relevant for us in the church today in the 21st century. Let's look at the charge to the church at Pergamum. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who says to John, write these words to this church. This church was living in a a dangerous place at a dangerous time, so much so that their pastor, most likely Antipas, or someone who was a leader in that church, we're not sure, was killed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Antipas was martyred. We're not sure why it is uh, that he was martyred exactly, except that he was faithful to the name of Jesus Christ. Most likely, in Pergamum, there was an opportunity for Antipas to do what all the citizens did, and that was to bring a sacrifice to Caesar and to bow his knee and proclaim that Caesar is Lord. By not doing so, would have not only put your life in jeopardy, but also the life of your family. Most likely, Antipas understood that it was important to give to Caesar what was Caesar's, to render to God what was God's, but he was unwilling to render to Caesar what only belongs to God. As a result, he is called the faithful one. All we know about Antipas is that he was faithful to the Lord and it cost him his life. This is a dangerous place to live, Pergamos. It was a dark place to live, wasn't it? Notice that this city is said to have had a throne in it. And that throne was occupied by none other than Satan himself. Now, if you'd have been in that city in the day in which John wrote this, you would have seen to all types of shrines and temples, to types of gods like Zeus and Assepolis, other types of gods that were worshipped and offered sacrifices It was a medical center of the day in which people were looking for all types of health remedies and even would travel to Pergamum to receive those. It had an incredible library. The internet, the Google of Pergamum was a library of 200,000 volumes. No wonder that the Lord said to the people who were full of information, full of words, listen to my word. My word is a sharp, two-edged sword. This is what had been probably the predicament of those living there in Pergamon. As they would go to their, their market or they would go into their workplace, they would hear from their friends and their associates about how they had learned some way to live more happily, more successfully, more healthily. They had read something that told them about how to pursue life and to pursue happiness. And there the Christians were in the middle of all of that information that was not from God, but instead from below, and be confronted with, do I now speak truth from God's Word to people around me who are receiving information all about life, but not from the source of truth? Much like in the day which we live Uh, This is a dark time to live because there is so much information being poured out. The minds of our young people and us as well, we are bombarded with all types of ways to live, to be successful, to pursue happiness, to be healthy. And yet, we're constantly confronted with, do I tell the truth to people who are in error? Um, It was a deceptive day. Let's verse 13 again because it says here, Satan's throne, Satan's throne was there. Jesus said, I I know where you live, I I know your address. I I know that it's not easy living there. I know that it's not easy standing for the Lord. It wouldn't have been easy to stand in from that darkness and that deception, especially when those close to you were actually dying. I don't know what it'd been like at Antipas' home, or possibly his children were asking his mother. His wife, is daddy coming home? Why is daddy not here? I, I said, this is not an easy word to receive because this is a dangerous place to live, a dark place to live. It was a deceptive place where Satan was working. But Jesus says, I, I know your address, I, I know what you're going through, and I know the difficulty that you're encountering. I, I know that. But I commend those who are being faithful. He said, I commend Antipas. He was faithful to my name. Now, what is the name of Jesus? What is the name of Christ? Primarily, it is his character. And comprehensively, it's all that he is. There are those there in the church, like Antipas, being faithful to everything that I am, to my will, to my ways. And there are those who have not denied my faith or have not denied faith in me. They have not bowed their knee to the gods of this world. They haven't bowed their knees to any other god or person or thing, but instead have called me Lord, lives for me as Lord, and does my will. This is a, this is a dangerous time to live, and the Lord knows where they live. I know where you live. And it was it's hard to be different. I know it's difficult to, to stand for my name and to stand for the truth. It's, it's very difficult to be faithful, but, but I, I know you're there. I, I would say in, in the 21st century, it's not always easy to stand firm in our faith and for everything Jesus stands for. I mean, you might find that you can do that, but it won't come without a cost. If you stand for everything Jesus stands for, not Jesus that is made up, not Jesus that is imagined or invented, but the Jesus who has a word that's like a sharp two-edged sword that cuts and divides and discerns and it convicts and it brings about the truth so that those who are against it are going in away from it, are confronted by it. It's not easy. And as a result, you're not always look like the most friendly or loving or kind person. When we go to work or college or wherever we interact or wherever we travel, the Lord knows we're there. He knows our address. And right now, America is a house of horrors. It is confused. It does not know what is right or wrong. In fact, celebrates what is wrong and defrauds what is right. So we cannot, Christians, take our Christianity and use it just when it's convenient. And on Sundays, come and worship God and praise God and open up our Bibles and look at the authority of truth and say amen. But then on Monday through Saturday, try to live in a way that accommodates this culture. And let's face it. It is getting a little more difficult to stand for truth Monday through Saturday. If you come into my garage, you know what you're going to see when you walk go in there? Except for the car, you're going to see a bunch of surfboards with a lot of dust on them. They don't get used very often. Just every once in a while, taken out, used, have a lot of fun, put back. That's the way some of us want to treat our Christianity. We live in a world, especially here in the United States of America, where Christians cannot just put their Christianity aside and then bring it out when it's convenient. But we have a dark world in a dangerous place who are looking for the light, and we're it. And it is for us then, whether it's in a college classroom or the boardroom or in our neighborhood or wherever it is that we are living or walking or working to stand up for Jesus and shine the light of the truth for people who are lost and drifting far from God. Jesus commends the church for their faithfulness. Verse 13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet hold, you hold fast my name and you do not deny the faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness. And that word witness is from the word martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. We represent his name when we revere his word. And Antipas would not apologize for his Christianity and he would not compromise. He's a man full of conviction. A man full of conviction sometimes is seen as unkind. You know and I know that there are men who have strong convictions, who speak boldly about God's truth, but are not careful about how they do it and come across very abrasive and ugly, harsh. And on the other side of that spectrum are those who seem to have such love and compassion that they tolerate everything and everyone. And I think that's probably the most dangerous part of the day in which we live in, where there are men who are unwilling and women who won't stand up for the truth in a loving way, who, like Abraham Lincoln said, need to be velvet steel, kind and compassionate, but firm as steel. The problem in the church at Pergamum is they were tolerant. And you know, when it comes to tolerance, and we've heard a lot about tolerance in the days in which we live, there's a, there's a certain aspect of tolerance that ought to be true of all of us, right? There's civil tolerance or respect. We understand that people have different viewpoints and different religious persuasions, different ideologies, and we're tolerant of the fact that that and those exist. But, but our tolerance cannot be that, uh, that, that those, those viewpoints and ideas that exist in opposition of God's truth, are actually um, intellectually valid. We cannot tolerate um, every notion that's perceived as valid truth or equals with the truth. Yeah, I, I can't agree with my, my friends who are Muslims that, that God is… A God who is looking for people who will do more bad in life than good in life. And if they do more right than wrong, then God, Allah, is going to accept them. I can't agree with that. Because that's not truth. Our truth is not defined by, by our good or our bad, but our truth is defined by a cross who stands in the middle of history that says there's none good, no, not one. And unless you fall on your face before a holy and righteous God and confess your sin and receive the righteousness of Christ, you'll be damned to hell. And I, and I, I have family members... Uh, I, that, that I don't know really well, some that I used to know better than others and that, that are Mormon, and, and they have an idea that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer, that he's a created being, that all of us one day can be deified. and that That is not a truth that I can... That is not a teaching that I can agree with because it is not rooted in any source of truth. And I, I can't come alongside our Jewish friends who... who who believe in God, who believe that there is an all-powerful being in the universe, but, but the Messiah has not come yet, and I have to say, no, no, no. There is a God, and He has revealed Himself in Jesus Christ, who is Christ, which means the Messiah. There are, there are other viewpoints that people hold to, even religious viewpoints, that I tolerate because I know that they exist, but i don 't tolerate in the sense that I affirm their validity it 's not intellectually it's, 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 I can't do that with intellectual integrity nor, nor can i 'm not going to do that with other ethics in the world today, and God has spoken very clearly about certain matters and They are black and white, and it doesn't matter that we live in 2022. Things that are wrong today were wrong yesterday and will be wrong forever because God has deemed them so. So the Lord gives this confrontation of the church's compromise. Look at verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So the Lord says, I am grateful that you have some who hold my name. You hold fast to me. But this I have something against you. And few things, as a matter of fact, few more than two, that there are some who hold to false teaching. And they hold to two types of false teaching." One, the teaching of Balaam. The other, the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And that they also tolerate these teachings within the truth. So you have three things going on here at least. You have people teaching false doctrine in the church two different ways. And then you have those in the church who hold the name of Jesus, who hold to the truth and yet tolerate false teaching within the church. This is a real problem. Uh, Similarly, this happens to a church called the church at Thyatira. If you have your Bibles open in Revelation chapter 2, notice verse 19 where Jesus says about that church and other church, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance that you that your latter works exceed the first, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I mean, if you ever had this idea, what does the, what, what the first century church, like the church at Pergamum or Thyatira have to do with the church in America in the 21st century. I mean, we're so far removed. I think maybe, if you just kind of go to church for a moment in the first century with me to the church at Pergamum, they might have even asked the question themselves, what does our church in the first century have to do with the people of God 1,500 years ago who lived when Balaam was alive? The reality is, the Bible is as up to date as you are. And even more so because when you're gone it will still be up to date. It hits here that we have a warning to the church of Pergamum, that they were tolerating the teaching of Balaam. Now, you need to know a little bit about Balaam. If you've never heard about Balaam, it would be an interesting read for you this afternoon. After you have your lunch and nap, to open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 24. There's nothing like a sunny afternoon nap. I mean, if you ever do get a chance to get one, I would recommend it. It's pretty awesome. Numbers, don't think about that right now. Numbers 24 and 25, you have a prophet by the name of Balaam who's a prophet of God who has the gift and callings of God on his life to prophesy for Israel. But he's a corrupt man and he likes to make money. And so he decides that he's going to receive money from a Moabite king by the name of Balak. Balak offers Balaam money, offers him money to curse Israel and not bless Israel. And so Balaam. In order to make money he decides I'll do that but he can't. God won't allow it. God doesn't give any cursings to Israel. They're on their way through the desert to the promised land and God's protecting them. He's destroying nations that are coming against them and Balak is concerned. He wants some sort of help against the nation of Israel. What will become the nation of Israel and so he hires Balaam. Balaam can not curse Israel. So Balak, Balak is, is very upset about this. Balak says, I got an idea. I can't curse them, but I can give you a way in which you can put a stumbling block in front of them. Balak, by the way, was a, 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 the king of the Moabites. There were two groups of people, the Ammonites and the Moabites who were, were Israel's uh, enemies at this point. Both of them came from the descendants of Lot Lot had incestual relationships with his daughters, and two men born from his daughters um, brought about these two races. You, you can just kind of let your mind go there for a minute, but just for a second, as to that's a whole nother sermon as to how sin has consequences even to further generations. But here, uh, Balaam says, I got an idea, and it's a good idea. You take the Midianite women and your Moabite women and you introduce them to the Israelite men, infiltrate them with these women and let them mix marriage and, and, and be tempted by these women and you will put a stumbling block in front of Israel. This is why Peter says that this man was Balaam evil In pursuit of money, Jude calls him also an evil man, certainly an evil man because he couldn't curse Israel, but he did the next best thing. He put a stumbling block in front of them. In the same way, we're told here that this is what's going on in the church at Pergamum, that there are those who are teaching in such a way that they are opening the door for compromise that would lead to even sexual immorality in the church. And it's going unchecked and undisciplined. And God says, I'm going to come with a sword. I'll deal with it myself. And compromise is this way. Compromise is a a drift. It is a dangerous drift towards all types of compulsive behaviors and deadly addictions. You just don't know. I, I think one of the scariest moments of my life, some of you heard this story, was when we were on vacation about 10, maybe 15 years ago now, I think about it. And we were playing in the water with our kids and there's a little guy that had been hanging out with us all week long. He was about 17, 18 years old. And uh, for whatever reason, he just decided he would hang, and hang with us. And we were playing on the water with a 99-cent beach ball. And uh, it got caught in the wind and it got caught in a riptide and it started going out. And the, the young guy says, uh, Hey, I'll go grab it. I said, no, 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 don't worry about it. It's a 99 cent. We'll get another one. Because I could see it just ripping out to sea. No, 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 I'll get it. I'm a lifeguard back home. I'm a really strong swimmer. No, don't do it. But he did. He started swimming after the beach ball, and I'm yelling, please don't because I can see how fast it's ripping out. I've never seen a riptide like that and it was ripping out the sea and he's going after that, that ball and he's getting closer and closer to the ball but he doesn't know he's getting further and further from the shore and he's getting so far so quickly that, that both the ball and he are becoming very small in the distance and I can realize this is gonna be, this is gonna be bad. So I ran to, to our little condo and I, I grabbed a, a surfboard, a long surfboard, and I'm running back and there's construction workers and I can never forget, they're going, "Do you see what's going on out there? And I'm like, yeah, please call the Coast Guard, call 911, do whatever you can. And by the time I come back to the water, I can tell he is panicked. And I'm yelling, but it is so far away. Don't panic, I'm coming, I'm coming. And when I got close enough to him, I just did the, the thing you've been trained to do, not get too close, just push the surfboard to him and let him get on it. And then he began to confess every sin on the man. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm really not a lifeguard. <laughs> I, I thought, I thought, this is why it was so scary. I thought that I'm going to witness this young boy drown over a 99 cent beach ball, right? He didn't know. He didn't know. He wasn't looking to see how he was moving from shore. He thought he's just getting closer to his goal, but he didn't realize the drift. I, I, I want you to know, and I think you know, maybe already, that's how our spiritual life can be. We can get our eyes on something and not realize how quickly we're drifting away from the shore. It's true in Pergamum. It's true of every person who got their eyes off of Christ and onto some sort of substance. Or any guy who got his eyes off of his loving wife and his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and left his home and his kids. Didn't happen overnight. He didn't wake up one day and think, I'm going to ruin the life of my wife And I want to make my kids never want to love my Jesus. It wasn't in his his mind. It was a slow fade. It was a thought, a compromising situation, and then disaster. It was one drink, it was another drink, it was a smoke, a shot, it was heroin, it was fentanyl. It wasn't overnight. We know that. When we say, how could someone do that? We know how they did. It started with a slow drift away from the truth. Nobody just begins abusing other people just because they decide, you know what I want to do? I want to use other people and abuse them. No, it's a slow fate. The problem of compromise usually comes in respectable names, too. It's usually given an honorable name like tolerance. It redefines matters in more appealing terms like this, and you've seen it over and over this month. Love is love. Conviction is given ugly names like intolerance, narrow-mindedness, or legalism. Are y'all, any of y'all Baptists here? Uh, Can I just say something and get it off my chest? I'm tired of other churches calling us legalists because we're Baptist. Because we hold to the truth, we're going to be called some ugly names. Lack of conviction and spiritual compromise leads to intellectual confusion and moral corruption, and that was happening in Pergamum. like Balaam, a stumbling block had been placed in front of believers, compromised compromised the clear, straightforward Word of God. How do I know that? How do I know that? Because we're told here there are two things, two practices that the Pergamum church tolerated. Eating food sacrificed to idols and sexual immorality. Was that a problem? Big problem. Because see... Some years ago in Jerusalem, there was a church council held. Peter was there. Paul was there. There were great leaders there like James. And they were trying to decide how to lead and shepherd Gentile believers who were coming to faith in droves. How do we help these new Gentiles who are coming out of pagan lifestyles into the church? How do we help them? And so here's what was said. Don't lay any burden on them that's too hard. Just tell the Gentile believers, don't. Eat meat sacrificed to idols and abstain from sexual immorality. Pretty clear. Pretty clear. In the book of Acts, the apostle said, Let's tell churches, do not engage in the practice of eating meat, sacrifice styles. Now, I don't know everything that was going on there. In my research, I can kind of understand different than what was going on in Corinth. There was certainly amount of worship involved in that of false gods, including Caesar. Here's what was going on. They were doing what the apostles told them not to do at Pergamum. And teachers were dismissing the apostolic teaching and saying it's okay to tolerate those who eat meat, sacrifice the idol, and those who are sexually immoral. You're probably thinking, that has nothing to do with our day. The temptations of that day, why should we be surprised that the church has not received different temptations? We should not be surprised that in that day Pergamum was accommodating the culture and in our day we are being constantly tempted to compromise and accommodate our culture. I think sometimes I'm going to be surprised, uh, or maybe not surprised by what our readers should say, but I am weakly shocked by those who call themselves pastors, church leaders, who are calling for Christians to accommodate this sexually confused culture. Now whose authority are we going to receive? The to had to decide whose authority are we going to stand on? It was very clear in Scripture. They'd already been taught by the apostles, don't tolerate these behaviors. And they're tolerating those who are coming in and teaching. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Satan's attacks always against the Word of God has always been against the Word. You know, there is constantly for Christians the, the outside pressure from the enemy to compromise, but temptation from the inside is harder to, to deal with. David Levy said, Compromise has always been the cancer in the church, and you know how cancer works. A.W. Tozer, a preacher of of, uh, years past said, a new Decalogue, the Decalogue meaning the Ten Commandments, a a new Decalogue has been adopted by neo-Christians of our day, and that we should not agree with. He's saying we are being told we shouldn't agree with it. A new set of Beatitudes, blessed are they that tolerate everything, for they shall not be made accountable well, the Lord has something to say to the church of Pergamum, and I think to our church as well. When I say our church, I think in all of these seven churches, you have to identify that there are aspects of all seven churches that can be true of any church at any time, good and bad. We need to be careful. And there are also aspects of all seven churches that can be true of us as individuals. So sometimes you'll read and you go, well, that's not me, and sometimes you'll read and go, "That, That's me. Here's what Jesus said, verse 16. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Pretty clear. The issue that you have in the church is something that you need to repent of. You don't repent of mistakes. You don't repent of ideas. You don't repent of philosophies. You repent of sin. You need to go to war against those false teachings. You need to go to war against those false teachings. If not, I'm coming to war against you. Christian, it'd be nice to just get saved and everything be wonderful and rosy. Who used to sing that song, I Never Promised You a Rose Garden? That just came to my mind. I, you ever have those thoughts? Sorry, I just had that thought of being in my dad's pickup truck with no air conditioning and It would be wonderful if that was the Christian reality, that you got saved and everything became rosy and you got along with everyone and everyone admired you for your faith and your conviction. But then you wouldn't need the armor of God, would you? And every day we have to put on the armor of God that is an armor that is always aim to advance because our protection is on the front and not on the rear. And so therefore, in advancing, we go marching onward, Christian soldier, as to war, because we are either going to be at war or we're going to, be, we're going to have someone make war with us. We don't get a choice on, on whether or not we're going to war. It's just who we're going to war with. And I think the Church of Pergamum, Got it. the message is pretty clear when the Lord said, if you don't go to war against that teaching, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, is, I'm coming to war against you. Our church's counsel in verse 17 is this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To The one who conquers, I will give some hidden manna and I will give him a white stone and a white name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Hear what the Spirit says. This is all again about the words of Christ compared or against the words of Satan that's coming from and through false teachers. Hear what the Spirit says, revealed in his word. The one who conquers, the one who conquers that the overcomer. Did you know, by the way, the the name Balaam and the name Nicolaitan; those two names that are used here in this text to tell us where false teachers came from, actually mean conqueror of men. Their names mean conqueror of men. So no wonder, Jesus says, if you want to overcome or conquer, it will be by my words, not by those words, because those words are always against mine. Satan always wars against the Word of God. Remember Adam? Remember Adam? When Satan came to Eve, have God said? Here's what Jesus says, if you will repent, you'll overcome, and I will give you some of the hidden manna. What is the hidden manna? Well, if you know anything about the Old Testament and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, they received sustenance from the Lord, nourishment from heaven, manna. They didn't know what it was, so they called it manna. What is it? It It's probably like Chick-fil-A. I'm thinking like maybe those little chicken minis. I think it's what I think of when I think of. (laughs) I don't know what it was, but it was delicious. Sustaining. It was daily. And that way, Jesus said, if you'll repent, I'll give, you, I'll, I'll give you sustenance. I'll give you a white stone. What's the white stone? There's so many different theories as to what the white stone is. So many different ideas. And I think the best maybe one we can land on, and I won't do it dogmatically, is that a white stone would be given to a conqueror who had won some sort of athletic uh, event and that stone would be given to him as a prize, a white stone given to him as a prize, but also would have his name engraved on it and would have given him a ticket or an entrance to a celebration of his victory or her victory. That seems maybe to be in more keeping with what the text says here. I'll give him a stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows who receives it. What, what Jesus says is this, if you if if you will repent and and receive my words then i'm going to give you a chance by my power to overcome jesus is the he's the alteration of all idolatrous inclinations he's the bread of life he's really what you're looking for all idolatry is for any of us who engage in it is the Is the idea that I can find what I'm looking for, what my flesh desires, what my soul's longing for in something other than Christ or someone other than Christ? Jesus is what you're looking for. He Himself is the bread of life. He said in the book of John, just as as Moses' day, I am the bread of life. The the manna was in the wilderness and people ate it, yet they died. But there's a bread that comes down from heaven, which if anyone will eat, they will not die. I am the living bread from heaven. We read from Psalms this morning, 16, about how that the Lord gives us Himself as a sustenance, but Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. blesses is the man who takes refuge in Him. John Piper said to you who never say that you've tasted the glory of God, you've tasted some of His appetizers. Have you looked in the sky? Have you ever been hugged? Have you ever sat in a warm fire, uh, by a warm fire? Have you ever walked in the woods, sat by a lake, laying in a summer hammock? Have you ever drunk your favorite drink on a hot day or eaten anything good. Every desire, either devout or distorted, as enticements are enticements to the glory of heaven. You have tasted God's glory only in those things that are simply appetizers that point to a greater reality. Go on to the meal. God himself is the meal. Satan would do all that he can to cause us to doubt that God is all that he said he is. Fulfilling a fulfillment of every desire. It, it, when we be faithful to His name and faithful to His Word, we'll recognize that He is nourishment. He is the bread of life. And Jesus is an antidote for immoral enticements. I mean, the best theory regarding this white stone is that you've received a pure stone, which means you have engaged in an athletic activity, and you've not broken the rules, but you have with integrity competed. And because you have kept the rules with integrity, you have received not only the award of winning, but also an affirmation of your effort. And you're able to enter into a celebration. Jesus is in that way, our joy of life, Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand's pleasures forevermore. The first step for us in taking the temptation to compromise seriously is to realize compromise brings ruin to our mission, ruin to our soul and robs us primarily of our incredible intimacy with God. There is no temptation that's innocent or trivial. All temptation plots with an end in mind. That is to destroy us and to keep us from fellowshipping intimately with our Lord. We're constantly warned about temptation to compromise. We're warned about the forbidden woman with lips of, Temptation that drips like honey in the book of Proverbs, but the end is she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Temptation robs us of our honor, uh, of our honor. It squanders our lives, it spoils our strength, and also our work. According to Proverbs chapter five and verse ten. It only leads to futility and regret. It is a thief. It comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It will take away not only our life, but our purpose and our mission that God has given to us. But in Christ, we have pleasures. We have joy. We have fulfillment. In Jesus, we have the antidote to illicit lustful temptations. The teachers in Pergamum were offering a false Gospel. You can be you can you can follow Christ and your flesh. But no one can do that. No one can do that. There's joy evermore in pursuing Christ and living in purity. No Christian ever went to bed having lived in purity that day, not able to sleep with a good conscience. But there's not one of us in this room who's been saved for any amount of time. He's gone to bed at night going, "Lord, Forgive me." And that's why we're so grateful for our Lord, because our purity is found in the cross, not in our own works. There is salvation, there is redemption, and there's forgiveness to all who are coming to Christ to find that in Him are pleasures forevermore. And Jesus is the answer for our identity issues. I mean, here's the reality. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a name nobody knows. I'm going to identify you in a way that no one could ever do, or you could yourself. All of our identity issues, whatever they are, how I'm alike." how people follow me, whether people want to be around me, what people think of me, all of those things can all be wrapped up and thrown away if our identity is found in what has He said about me. And Paul says we are accepted in the beloved. We're accepted in Christ. Therefore, when we look at ourselves, we can look at ourselves through the lens of Christ and realize He loves me in spite of me. Like that is ridiculous. Like if you knew everything about Scott Yurka, you'd just be shaking your head. And yet, he knows more about me than I know about myself and loves me. And has given me the ability to be an overcomer. Therefore, I have to look at myself not through the lenses of someone's teaching, not through someone's idea of what my strengths are or my, what is that thing called, Enneagram? But what does Jesus say about me? It's here that the people at Pergamon were probably having all types of identity issues because they are listening to false teachers who are not rooted in, rooting themselves in the truth and therefore putting themselves in the place of God. I won't go here here long. I don't have to say much about it because we're all in agreement, I think, about where we are this month in the month of June that some people have called Pride Month. It is grieving. It is grieving. Pride Month is nothing more than a simple attempt to replace God. Because it's God who assigns gender and sex and roles and responsibilities, not man. And any attempt to usurp God's authority there is only. An attempt to replace God. And how will you live in, in a world like this? Well, we defeat Satan by clinging to the gospel, defiantly, defiantly throwing it back. I am who I am because of his grace. And we are who we are because of his grace. There's no room. For us to, to try to identify uh, ourselves by this culture. It doesn't seem, maybe in this, in this you read this text, how, how in the world could this church even exist in a city where Satan's throne was? How dark and dangerous and deceptive it was? Well, the reality is all people need the bread of life. They all need a hidden, hidden manna of God. They all need it. The hidden manna means it's exclusive. The hidden manna is Christ. And the hidden manna is not only exclusive. It's available. It's not elusive. It's available if we will let people know they too can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We live in a dark time, a deceptive time, and a dangerous time. Yet there are people around us who are looking for life and don't know where to find it? And we have the answer. It's that Jesus Christ is the bread of life that you can buy without cost. The bread of life is available for everyone. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says it this way, come everyone who thirsts to the waters and who has no money, come buy and eat. The same thing that in Revelation 22 says, you could come and buy and eat. The bread of life is Christ. A Life consists of the bread of life. When Satan came to Jesus, he did to Jesus just what he did to Eve, just what he does to Adam, trying to cause even the Lord Jesus Christ to doubt the word. If you are the Son of God, if. Why don't you command these stones to be made to bread? And then Jesus answered Satan and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's what Peter came to understand. When Jesus asked the disciples, will you also go away? Where will you go, Peter? Where will we go, Peter said? You alone have the words of life. In John 6, verse 63, Jesus said these words, I have the words that I've spoken to you, and they are spirit and they are life. Life is found in Christ, in His name, His will, and His word. And we need it every single day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for giving us this warning of compromise, not to tolerate anything that would undermine your word or claim to be authoritative above your word. And Father, I pray that we as Christians will be more rooted, grounded than ever before in this dark and deceptive day in your truth to lovingly and graciously point people to you so they too might sustain life, attain life, and God, every day, enjoy life in you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.